Gracious and almighty God, we do thank you that you are here, that you are the with us God, even as we are apart. And I pray that your spirit would move in us, among us, O Lord, and that, um, that the same spirit that inspired Matthew in the writing of these words would now enliven our hearts and our minds um, as we seek to follow in your ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have you ever had that kind of conversation where someone keeps encouraging you not to be too worried? Or where they repeat before giving you that piece of bad news, you know, it's, it's not too bad, not such a big deal. Or they protest just a little too much. That's kind of how I feel a little reading our passage from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. The passage that Louise just read for us. Three times Jesus implores his disciples, do not be afraid. That suggests something, doesn't it? To Jesus' credit, he also says things like, be on guard, be shrewd or prudent. And right at the top, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. There's no bait and switch here. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus' words lead us into some dark and fearful waters. Last week's reading focused on the disciples' participation with Christ, in in Christ's mission and work. This week, Jesus' words lead us to consider the cost of such participation. The cost of participation in the mission, the work of Jesus. While it, it might be difficult for us to connect with the threat of physical violence that Jesus suggests here, Persecution and even death for the faith are experiences of our sisters and brothers in Christ around the world. Just these past weeks, dozens of Christians were killed by Islamic militants in Nigeria. We're blessed with beloved Nigerian members in our community. So that does make it a little more real. But even for most of us, in our comforts, in our freedoms... We can grasp the weight of what Jesus is talking about. There are clear challenges in what he has to say to things that we hold dear. Good things that might easily become the center of our lives. Hindrances even to full and good participation. Hindrances to all that Jesus has for us. I think the challenge in Jesus' words can be really grouped into two categories, two areas that are dear to us. First, Jesus' words have to do with autonomy, personal autonomy. And second, Jesus' words challenge us in the arena of belonging, finding a home, a place among others. Challenges around autonomy and belonging. Jesus' words here challenge the the high place, the high value we place on individual autonomy. Western society is a culture of significant individualism and places this incredibly high premium on personal agency. Our Asian American sisters and brothers and those who've lived abroad in other cultures perhaps can identify this in Western society, mainstream Western society more easily. We're prone to grasp onto our freedom to live as we see fit, our our right to exercise agency over our lives. Put aside for a moment the specifics of what Jesus says the disciples will endure. And notice simply the multitude of verbs in the passive voice. 
They'll be handed over. They'll be flogged, brought before, arrested. This is the experience of the disciples, of participants with Jesus. They will be acted upon. This is not a picture of your best life now, at least as how we would conceive of it. The description of the disciples is a picture of a people who are not in control, not in power. On Pentecost, the church celebrated the reality of the Spirit's presence upon the disciples of Jesus. They're clothed with power from on high, strengthened to be participants. But that participation doesn't look like the exercise of power that we might expect. It plays out in suffering, weakness, and loss. Obedience to Jesus often leads to lives of solidarity with those who are oppressed and suffering experientially. Years ago, before the advent of smartphones, I remember my brother giving directions to an out-of-town friend who'd never before been in our city in Vancouver. And before my brother went into the specific instructions, he said to this friend, just so you know, you're going to get lost. It's going to happen. Before you get going, just know that. Anticipate it. Be prepared. Jesus is telling his followers, telling us something similar. He's telling them, telling us at the front, that participation with him will include experiences of rejection and weakness. He's telling us that following him means the giving up of autonomy and power. So don't be surprised. Don't be unprepared. In university, many years ago, for a class I was taking, I did a comparison of the 10 best films ever list that was put together by Sight and Sound, this prestigious and kind of snooty British cinema journal. And on that list were all the films you might expect, classics of Western cinema, Casablanca, Vertigo, Citizen Kane, the Minions movies. Just kidding on that last one. Alongside that list, I looked at the top 10 list of a Sen Senegalese filmmaker named Usman Sembene. And his list of the 10 greatest films was totally different. Movies I'd never even heard of, movies I couldn't watch, I didn't have access to. Clearly, Sembene was using a different criteria, a different vision of success. Individual autonomy and unfettered personal agency are often the signs of a successful life for us. But they're not for Jesus. And such things are not our highest goods. Participation with Jesus involves giving them up. And it is worth it. Obviously, Jesus is not saying that what the disciples will endure is a good thing. These things are the result of God's kingdom coming into contact, coming into conflict with the broken and sinful powers of this world. This Friday was, of course, Juneteenth, this day of marking out the emancipation of black Americans from slavery. They're laying hold of the freedoms that are all of ours as image bearers of God. It's a day, too, for marking how much farther there is to go. One of the things I have been learning these past weeks is how central to the black Christian abolitionist argument 
was the declaration that slavery was not simply a moral disaster, but that it inhibited faithful practices of black Christians who were slaves. It hindered such people's capacity to obediently entrust themselves to Jesus, to freely serve him. Their lack of autonomy and agency kept them from giving themselves up for the cause of Christ. The freedoms that we enjoy, that people of color must enjoy, are best put to use in the service of Christ. The freedoms we enjoy are not ends in themselves, but allow for a full and wholehearted participation with King Jesus. A life of true freedom is not found in an abundance of consumer options or the unfettered pursuit of my individual desires, but in obedience to our Creator and Redeemer. This is where Jesus' language of contrasting fears in verse 28 there connects. He contrasts the fear of what will happen with the fear of the Lord. And that fear, the fear of the Lord, is best understood as awe or regard. Think of teaching a child to swim. You you want them to have a healthy regard for the danger that water poses. The fear here refers to a recognition of God as our creator and our holy judge, something similar. You and I will give an account of what it is that we do with our freedoms, with our lives. And though the cost of participation with Jesus may be great, the cost of non-participation is greater still, far greater. The language of acknowledgement that Jesus uses at the end in verses 32 and 33 is the, the language of confession. And it's this binding thing. To make this kind of confession, like the one Peter will make later on in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, has a binding force upon the life of the one who confesses. To make such a confession is not a matter of words alone. And what we actually see then in the book of Acts, for example, is these words play out in the lives of the disciples. They, what we see is they make this confession with their mouths, but then they live it out in their actions with their bodies and they receive opposition. Not necessarily for the words themselves, but for the obedience that follows. Lives bound to this confession. So for example, Paul and Silas will heal this woman afflicted, demonized by this spirit. And the, the opposition they experience is from people who were exploiting this woman's condition for their own gain, their own benefit, exploiting her. Opposition may not simply come from saying Jesus is Lord, but as that confession finds expression in a particular way of life, a way of life that calls into questions, question other powers, that undoes systems of exploitation and sin, a way of life that convicts those who are committed to other lords and other ways, opposition will arise. This week, in the church calendar, the life of Bernard Mazeki was celebrated. Bernard Mazeki was a black South African missionary who was martyred for his Christian witness by a witch doctor among the Ndebele people with whom Mazeki was serving. He was killed as he re refused to leave these people despite great danger, strife, and violence, choosing to stay and care for this incapacitated elderly man who had been entrusted to him. 
his way of life, this commitment to a particular image bearer, called into the question the validity of existing powers and resulted in opposition. That is what participation looks like. As those called to be kingdom agents with Jesus, we are to expect rejection, opposition. And we're to be on guard, to respond shrewdly, prudently, not to be naive or caught unaware, and to respond innocently, not returning in kind, but overcoming evil with good, confident in God's providential care that he knows the hairs on our head, confident that all will be revealed, his words proven true and just, confident as servants of the true king. That's all under the category of autonomy. Our second area of challenge in Jesus' words is around the high value we place on belonging, this good thing, this thing for which we are made. I suspect we can all identify with the sense of alienation, estrangement related to Jesus' words. The synagogue would have been the center of communal life for these disciples. Verse 21 suggests estrangement and betrayal because of Jesus even within their very families. There's this sense of alienation, possible estrangement in these basic places of belonging. Our translation uses the word everyone in verse 22. A better word might be all, all people, as other translations put it. You will be hated by all. Not everyone without exception, but among all people. In every culture, every ethnic group, every nation. This is not simply a Jewish problem. There will be opposition to the kingdom of God, opposition to those who confess Jesus as Lord. There is no place of perfect belonging in the world for the followers of Jesus. That is a hard truth that Jesus wants us to know. Even the instruction to leave the place of persecution, to flee, suggests this certain homelessness, rootlessness for participants with Christ. Following him means not belonging among our own families, perhaps, in our nation, among our people, whoever they might be, even in our city. Now, this needs to be put alongside passages like Jeremiah 29, which call us to seek the welfare of the places we inhabit, to pursue the common good. That's part of participation, living out our confession. But we do not find ultimate belonging in the cities we are called to build up. Our ultimate sense of being at home lies beyond the horizon, beyond what we work upon, beyond what we can make happen in and of ourselves. Our true belonging, our true acceptance is in a kingdom that is near already, but not yet. I know the language of persecution has been used by Christians to justify all kinds of, of crummy behavior. There's lots of examples where we might say we're, we're telling the truth in love or we're making the courageous stand. But really the opposition faced is just because of failures of love and because Christians are being jerks. What Jesus describes here is not that. Rather, it's, it's the same kind of phenomenon we find in the Beatitudes, where the final blessing, the final congratulations, 
is for those who are persecuted and reviled on account of Christ, as this kind of culminating thing in a life devoted to the kingdom that's out of step with the world as it is, that's wholly allegiant to Jesus. Such a people make the best and worst citizens or group members. The best because they're safe and secure in Christ, free to love and serve, to give of themselves, to be non-anxious, and to bless others, extending themselves. But the worst because they cannot and will not give full and final allegiance to the party, the nation, the state, the group. They're not blindly loyal to any earthly group or authority. They answer to another to one who is overturning every other power, every other claim. Our vision at Church of the Cross is to be a church in and for Northeast Austin. We are best for Northeast Austin, for Austin, when we are not fully at home here. When our ultimate hopes and allegiances lie elsewhere, in another country. This allows the church to serve and love our neighbors freely, to extend ourselves in this non-anxious way, to work without losing ourselves. I think how this plays out in our life is that it looks like in Austin we have areas of agreement and common cause, shared values, where the kind of culture of Austin lines up well with the values of the kingdom, the values in line with our confession. I think what we're seeing unfold with regard to systemic racism and racial justice is one of those areas. I think of creation care. I think of the care of immigrants and sojourners. But I also think of areas of contrast. Most basic is a differing vision around the primacy of Jesus, the need for people to acknowledge and name him as Lord, the, the place of evangelism as this action of mercy and seeking the common good of others. Think of the arena of sexual ethics as a bodily expression of our confession that Jesus is Lord. I think around a consistent whole life, whole life, pro-life ethic. Areas where no matter how winsomely put, there will, will be disagreement. There will be conflict, friction. How all this plays out is incredibly complex. You might reasonably ask this morning, well, well, how can it be done? My basic encouragement would be to look to Christians of the past and look to other Christians in general. Look to Paul in Acts, to St. Augustine in the Roman Empire, the city of God. I think of St. Benedict in communities of monks and nuns through the ages, to the martyrs and saints who have gone before us. The black church in America, so many voices have something significant to say about this. Being faithful, a faithful presence in a society at which you are not at home. Think of Fannie Lou Hamer, a voice that I was listening to just this week on a, a podcast from Christianity Day, Watson Jones II. Think of Dorothy Day, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 20th century to the Anne campaign, and Show Baraka, and Justin Gibney, and writers like John Anazu, and his book Confident Pluralism Today. Christians have grappled with what this means to seek the welfare of a city but not be at home in it. 
We can also keep an eye on some basic indications or signs. If we have no sense of dislocation or estrangement, no holy restlessness, that may be a sign of something amiss. If our vision of a just society lines up entirely with one political party or one platform, one candidate, or in opposition to one political party, that might be an indication that, that we need to attend to the words of Christ. If our vision of righteousness and holiness accords perfectly with those who do not confess Jesus as Lord, if there's no daylight between our values and those of our neighbors who do not name Jesus as Lord, who don't adore and worship Christ, that's an indication. I'm a two on the Enneagram, if that means anything to you. A helper. According to Strength Finders and Core Clarity, I'm highly relational. I'm a youngest child, eager for peace and harmony. I'm Canadian, for goodness sake. We invented peacekeeping. There's a significant temptation to sin for me around people-pleasing. I want to be liked. I want to belong. I might be more strongly wired that way. Some of you are more prophetically wired and gifted. But what Jesus says here is challenging for us all, isn't it? We desire harmonious relationships. We long to belong. The good news, then, is that the space Jesus invites us into, where he invites us to follow, is not a place of no belonging, but in fact of a deeper richer, more secure belonging than we could imagine or make for ourselves. Through Jesus and his claim, his confession of us, we come to belong in the household of God with a loving father with whom we are held in such high value, with sisters and brothers from every tribe, tongue, and nation, with a Lord, an elder brother, who has walked and endured the same path he now calls us to. A path that does not terminate in weakness and loss, but in glory. That does not end in alienation and loneliness, but with all that has been given up, multiplied a hundredfold. This is the promise of Jesus to you. An invitation to participate, to do something difficult, costly, and intimidating but with him, sharing in the very life of God. Be not afraid. Perhaps you hear this word this morning, and you have a sense of, of having failed, of having compromised, not participated, things done and left undone, as we say. And there might be the question of whether or not you do, in fact, belong with Jesus. One of my favorite things to note about this passage is that the word Jesus uses in verse 33 that's rendered disown is the same word used to describe Peter's denial of Jesus in Matthew 26. The same Peter who confesses in Matthew 16 is fearful and fails in Matthew 26. And even such a public and painful failure, denial, disowning, does not exclude him. His shame, 
his failure is overcome by the risen Lord's grace. And he finds a place of belonging in the household of God. Compromised, fearful Peter becomes this participant, a kingdom agent leading on mission, confessing Jesus as Lord, joyfully paying the price. You are not excluded. Your place is with Christ in the household of God. His work and his way is yours, is ours. Let us walk in this way. Let us do this work. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.